Hey everybody, welcome back to Rain City Supercars. I'm Dan. And I'm Nick. And this is episode two. Yeah, and we're just going to jump right into this one. This is one of our longer episodes that uh, we really enjoyed the conversation we had here with our guest, Steve Theodore. And so we will let this episode lead its own way. All right, welcome back. Uh, Nick and I are here with our guest this week, which is Steve Theodore, who's a mutual friend of ours from... uh, well, I met Steve Well, we were trying to buy GTRs at the same time. That's right. Apparently, which I forgot until he told me today, if I'm being honest. But hey. I apparently grabbed his ass at Exotics one day. Uh, we bonded. You know, there's nothing you like him. You bonded look- and he didn't press well, charges. Yeah. Well, correct. that might be a better idea. <laughs> but when he looked over his shoulder and said, get your hands off me, we, we connected. Yeah. We connected. He so. didn't hit me. I'll keep it. He him. didn't hit me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he didn't take a swing, so we called it, you know, a friendship from there on. I'll never forget. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody ever does. Most don't. Yeah. <laughs> Most paperwork. don't. Paperwork lives on forever, Nick. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> restraining orders are restraining orders, but, you know, you learn to live with them. Steve, <laughs> thanks for coming in. We really appreciate it. You know, we, we kind of, um, as you know, when you've listened to the first podcast, we're, we're, we're really about boosting the Northwest, Pacific Northwest, talking about the cars, the car people, the roads, and we thought you would be an excellent guest to have um, come in with us and, and talk to us about your experiences and your cars. Well, I'm actually quite honored that you'd pick me as your first guest so thank you very much both you guys you're just the first guy that wrote back. Ma- Let's maybe, be maybe i'm the easiest to, <laughs> to snag and, and get here but regardless it's still an honor so thank you um my name is steve theodore i've been a car guy literally since probably age one um, as my mom tells it and grew up in the pack northwest uh most of my experience with cars is in the pack northwest so probably good for the theme of this show and very happy to talk about a lot of different topics i I do like a lot of different types of cars. Steve and I are, are Palouse boys. We are both uh, pollutions. I, I, pollutions, I've heard. Yeah. I like that term. Uh, raised on uh, Palouse water. I, of course, was born in Pullman. And Steve, you were born in... Uh, Pullman. In Pullman, yeah. That's right. We, uh, Steve and I actually ran into each other. We happened to be driving across the state about a year ago at the same time. Had a great time. And ended up in some little watering hole in... Uh, what was the name? Where was that? Palouse. In Palouse. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, we had a great time. But uh, Metropolis. Neither of us were on a drive, but we were going to... He was going to see family, and I was going... We were going on a business trip, so Mark and I were. <coughs> that's what you called it. Yeah, that's... <laughs> <laughs> Nick was drinking across the state. <laughs> I was digging across the state, and you just happened to be going to be see your family. It's a good so. cover. Yeah, good cover. Thank you. I appreciate that. Let's, uh, let's talk about the cars you currently own, because you are fortunate enough to have, well, one of my favorite cars, if not, uh, I think, the ultimate driver's car in your garage, and I am admittedly jealous envious <laughs> jealous is the right i'm very envious stis are great yeah yeah that's, that's exactly <laughs> yeah, what he meant so perfect. yeah thank you um definitely blessed to have you know a few really exciting cars and they're very eclectic too so i like that about the collection because i want different types of cars the variety is important you, you see all these guys that have like 16 Ferraris, no offense to any of our friends, right? you know, because there is a place for that. But my dream garage is eclectic. And I think there's a lot of us that feel that way. Same here. Right. So again, car guys and girls are are great people regardless of what they're into. But some of us are drawn to that variety. So for me, the the crown jewel that you want to hear about is the GT3 RS Porsche. Um, One of the best days of my life was seeing that car for the first time when the garage rolled up, garage door rolled up, and I got to look at it. And I thought, that's mine. And and truly one of those surreal moments, you know. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of people would equate it to the day they had a child, the day they bought their first house, the day they got married, whatever. But it's one of those milestones that you just can't. I think houses and children are cheaper, though. <laughs> 
Well, then, now we do live in the fun. we do live in the Pacific Northwest <laughs> and the houses, you know. Yeah, I don't know exactly. about that. That's true. That's anyway, true. so the GT3 RS is the most prominent, you know, car in my collection. Um, we could talk about it for the whole podcast. Obviously, that's not the point. Um, I've got a Supra, which you guys kind of tipped off in mm-hmm. the last show. Longtime Supra owner. We'll talk about that. Um, the one I have now is a very specific, special example. Yeah. Um, you mentioned a thousand horsepower. It's actually fourteen hundred horsepower on kill okay, well. uh, at the crank. <laughs> I had to get that in there. Um, <laughs> I don't drive it. We at wouldn't that, under, that is my under kind of correction. Absolutely. Right there. Yeah. I figured you'd enjoy that. Yeah. It's uh, so yeah. Supras have been a big part of my life since you could say nineteen ninety eight, but I can even take you back to nineteen ninety three when they were new. We can get there. Um, the GTR. You guys mentioned I have an R thirty five. That's how Dan and I met. Um, love that car. Brought it here today. That's how I got here. Steve um, has my lug nuts. <laughs> I have his lug nuts and his splash guard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> splash guard. So, Why are both of you so, grinning when he says lug nuts? <laughs> Careful now. <laughs> Is that code for something? <laughs> not not this time. <laughs> <laughs> you dropped your lug nuts off at Steve's house. So, good to know. Fortunately, yeah. I've, I've, I've been able to take advantage of some good opportunities with my friends and parts and things like that. So thanks to Dan again for some great deals. Um, the STI you guys mentioned, that's the daily driver. The I want to have fun, but it's snowing, raining, the end of the world. You know, I can go have fun. And then a Toyota 4Runner, which I actually like quite a lot, but it's just a Toyota 4Runner. Good rely. So, yeah. I, yeah. You know, yeah, 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 being I, a Land Cruiser I totally guy, get it, yeah. You, you get it. Um, so those are, the, those are the cars, the five vehicles. Um, very happy with the collection, not not planning anything. Um, if anything, it would probably be the STI, which would go for another fun daily driver. Right. So. Cool. Yeah. That's my kind of garage, actually. You'd be hard-pressed to find a need for anything else in that. I understand collections, and I do. And we have some great friends that have some wonderful collections. But what I like about Steve's collection is there's he has cars that are, are, are for each individual fun. I mean, the, G, the GT3 RS, and I, was, I'm, I know I'm going to screw that up. You've talked about, you've taken that down to some speed events. And, and the, the R35, you, I mean, great road car. And the, the STI is something you can drive every day. I, you know... A lot of these people up here in the Pacific Northwest, although they do drive their cars, it's the same type of cars. Or they're, they, You have a car for every purpose, and I, I really like that. Like, I'd like to have that option someday where I go in, let's see. <laughs> it's a rainy day and it's snowing. Do I want this all-wheel drive car or that all-wheel drive car? Yeah, and I mean, it's not as simple as that. I know it's fun to think that. We always want to think that when we look at someone else's collection. For me, it's like, oh, the insurance isn't up on this one because it's the middle of winter, so I can't drive it. And, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I need to do this to this one, or I'm blocked in by two other cars. You know, I mean, problems you won't cry about. It's, you know, first world stuff, but it's not as easy as that sometimes. The Supra needs its own care and feeding to do anything, you know. It's a <laughs> yeah, very I particular bet. car. Horsepower. Yeah, if there's even a hint of moisture, you just leave it at home, you know, stuff like that. Ah, oh, traction is a slight issue. Is slight issue. I see. Okay. Go <laughs> around on the R compounds all the time, and, you know, you really need them. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say I that. Well, um, tell us a little bit about the backstory on, on the Porsche. Because sure. I think that's something, like I said, you're is sort of the, the crown jewel and, and you're I mean, you have already related it to having a child, so ah, I think, yeah. I'd pick the Porsche too. Good call. I, I good, think, good I, I, nobody here disagrees. I mean I like children, <laughs> but your Porsche talks a lot less. Um, so. We can take the story back a long way. I'm going to try to go a little fast uh, because of the nature of the podcast. Um, when I was very young, I received a Porsche 917 as one of my first model cars. Loved it. Still have it. You know, 164 scale, you know, car. It was awesome. Uh, didn't even know what it was. Didn't matter. But it happened to be a Porsche 917. Um, later, 
as I grew up, I started to understand what a Porsche 911 was. You know, we read car and driver road and track as kids, Auto Week. I've had a subscription to Auto Week since 1987, which is pretty bizarre. Wow. Meaning I've, I've seen the records of it. I'm like, wow, that's crazy because I didn't get my driver's license until 1990. And I was still so interested in the cars. I subscribed to the magazines, reading about them, Formula One, all that stuff. Um, I still got my subscription to Ranger Rick, so I totally get what he's saying. Oof, don't know that one. <laughs> um, later, like getting to college age, I was a valet for uh, a couple years here in Seattle as I went to school at UW. I got to drive every new car, um, including Supra, brand new Supra in 93. Uh, but I did drive a lot of 911s, including a lot of pro athletes 911s. And I always enjoyed the experience. So the experience of driving an air-cooled 911, as anybody knows who knows air-cooled 911s, is just beyond belief. It's unreal. Um, I highly recommend it. Uh, if you're a car guy, you will like it. Um, and then I got to drive a 911, a 1977 911S, which was owned by a friend of the family. She's like, yeah, if you want to clean my car, you can have it for the morning. <clears throat> Obviously, you know what happened. So of you course, I offered to, you to get it dirty first, then go drive it. To dry the car off, I needed to drive the car. Yeah. So uh, I respected the car. I wasn't a stupid kid, even though I was, let's say, 20 years old or so. I took care of the car. I didn't. I, I knew enough about them that I knew you couldn't drive them as, as, a, as a moron. Um, I had to yeah, respect physics. Uh, and I loved it. The interaction, you know, I, I remember to this day, you, you push the brakes and you can feel the pads literally like clenching on the rotors. Yeah. That feeling of feedback is something that, you know, you don't get in most, you know, nearly any car. And yeah. I fell in love. So, I mean, that was kind of where I cemented the love affair with that. Later, much later, I did buy my first Porsche, which was a 996 Turbo. That's when I started going to exotics in 2009. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that was kind of the start of going to exotics. I'd seen them, you guys around, or whoever it was at the time, Tommy and, you know, the Tom other Vic, yeah. Yeah, those guys. I'd see them on Main Street in Bellevue. I didn't know what it was. Then I'd see them at Redmond Town Center. I didn't know what it was. I just saw a bunch of cool cars, and then I found out about it. Um, so I had the 996 Turbo, and then I, I made the fateful <clears throat> mistake, quotes, uh, <laughs> where a friend offered me to drive his GT3, so we swapped keys, and I found Nirvana. And, you know, I mean, it was just that instant feeling that this is what I had to do. I had the car on consignment, the 996 Turbo, within two weeks. And <laughs> I bought a GT3 RS within the next month or two. Yeah. So, and I, I really lucked out. Uh, you want to know the circumstances of it? It's a particular car. It's a high mileage car. It's single owner, but the guy drove it pretty much everywhere in the Bay Area. And a very wealthy guy just happened to use it as a daily driver, which just astounds That'd me. Be horrible to use that because as a daily of the driver. seats. Yeah. The seats yeah. are what makes it hard. The the rest of the car is actually not that punishing. Uh, the ground clearance is not great, but it has a nose lift. Um, but the seats, I don't know how you daily drive the car. It's a production, you know, to get in yeah. and out of. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I basically was the only one who believed in what the car was and not what it was not. This is what the seller told me. He's like, people kept showing up, and they were bummed out. It had, like, scratches on the wheels or something. And in the price range we're talking about, I kind of get it. Yeah. But I was seeing beyond that. I was seeing this opportunity to own something. Basically, I was buying an RS model Porsche for non-RS pricing. Yeah, and, those are and, superficial. And that just, and somebody loved it, as you said. Yeah. I mean, somebody it turned loved out it to be a terrible investment because their prices haven't gone up at all. <laughs> no, God, no. I mean, Got yes. lucky on one of these cars. <laughs> yeah. um, it is fun as a car enthusiast to pick cars that do better than, let's say, average. But sometimes they blow you away. But sometimes. you're still not afraid to use it. That, not, not afraid and that's to use what it. I like. 
Um, I don't track the car often. People always give me a hard time about that. Like, why don't you go to the ridge more or at all? And I'm like, you know, that level of liability to me is it's just off my chart. I would rather Insurance take companies my Subaru. really don't like it when you do that. Yeah. So, yeah. I would rather <laughs> drive my Subaru there. I'm more comfortable with the car. If I ride it off, you know, it's more palatable, uh, you know, for yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't view the Porsche that way. That being said, I did take it down to do a shift sector event. I think we're going to talk about yeah, that. Yeah, I, I do want to talk about shift sector because that's something that you've always talked to me about that I, I'm so amazed about. Lo- love to get into that. Yeah. So, so to, to date, though, the, the, GT, the RS is obviously the favorite, your favorite car you've owned. By a... By a massive margin, my my friends who don't understand them and they do understand Supras or GTRs, they always seem to have a really hard time with this concept when they ask, what's your favorite car? And I go, the Porsche. Well, what do you mean? You have, you know, 1400 horsepower Supra, you have this awesome R35 GTR. I'm like, yeah, yeah, those are great cars. Don't get me wrong. I love them. I'm so happy to own them. But you don't understand the difference between those cars and a really well-engineered, precision-driving tool like a GT3 RS. It lives on a different plane. There is no comparison. You know, yeah, it's not as fast as the other cars. You don't care at all when you're driving it. Nick and I have had this conversation many times outside of this podcast about how people brag spec sheets. You don't drive spec sheets. You can have X amount of horsepower or X amount of dollars doesn't matter like you, you if you go through a bunch of like famous drivers they'll be like what's your favorite what's your favorite car to drive they're like any rental car but yeah. beyond that it's <laughs> off it's, no n- it's never like the p1 or the LaFerrari or the 918 they all love them they all think they're amazing but all those guys are like tanner faust had a famous interview where he said his favorite car he's ever driven was his 996 turbo because he built it exactly the way he wanted it it's modded exactly the way he wants it it's they got that bulletproof motor in those things. The 996, the old ones had that crap. Uh, the non-turbos had a, obviously the, the bearing issue that was pretty famous, but it was just funny to hear him say that. A car that easily most people could obtain with any decent job. Because, I mean, you can find those things for thirty-five to 40000 uh, even now, and they're great buys. But it was interesting to read that and hear that consistently. And it's a great gateway car. Like I said, I owned one, and it yeah. was my introduction to owning Porsche. I recommend them to anybody. I mean, if you're dipping your toe in the water, you're not sure you like Porsche, you're a power junkie, so you're not sure you want to give that up, man, you can almost have your cake and eat it too with the 996 Turbo. Great car for me. I think Steve made an excellent point. His Porsche doesn't have the most horsepower of anything. But it's it's how the car uses it and gets it to the ground and the performance. I mean, as you've told me, and and correct me if I'm wrong, with the Supra, it's great straight, but it's not the best turning car. No, I mean, it's not its strength, and even super guys have to admit that. You know, well, I know we're going to dig into the super probably a little more, mm-hmm. but it, it's built to you compromise things when you start hyper modifying a car. Let's call it hyper. Oh, totally. Yeah. You can you can yeah, fourteen hundred. I think you can call it hyper. That's hyper modified. Yeah. yeah. The nature of the car has fundamentally changed, and it's it's exciting. It's fun. It does certain things extremely well, mm-hmm. but it's going to lose its ability to do other things that oh, yeah. it might have done better stock or near stock. And we have to celebrate that. So, you know, you can't generally have it all. The GT3 RS is an example of having it all in yeah. one place. Yeah, as I've gotten older, I've uh, I've gravitated toward cars, uh, especially with my Z06 and the GTR both, uh, that what is the car I can buy that I need to do the least amount to stock for me to get the most out of? Uh, and having it to do over again, I'll, I'll admit, I should. I, if it was out at the time, I probably would have ended up with a Grand Sport over the Z06. And people always were so shocked to hear that. It's like, because it's more usable. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's it's a car you can just get in and just hammer through. The Z06, you do that, it'll bite you. It'll bite you hard. 
Uh, and I've driven actually a couple of GT3 RSs and even just GT3s, and they are both prime examples of cars you can really drive hard, and the RS will still bite you pretty hard. <laughs> but uh, they're still they're, they're cars that are easier to drive fast, and they make you smile because you know you can take them to that edge so much easier, and they're so they give you so much feedback. It's yeah. it is true driving nirvana. I, feedback's a hard thing to explain to a even a, especially a non-car enthusiast. Car enthusiasts tend to be a little more open-minded about it, but some of them really look for it. Those are the guys that buy Lotuses and 911s and things like that. Exactly. Um, so we appreciate that. You know, it's kind of like having a dance partner that's willing and, and is able to kind of take your lead and give you back what you expect. And I really like that. You know, I think most true car guys there's a place for that, and it, it's it's a good place. Yeah, but um, that dance partner can also snap your neck if she wants Well, to. and you talk about, like, 930 <laughs> turbos. Scare and Scare roused. There's plenty of Porsches that will kill you very quickly, the, the uh, you know, uninitiated and ham-fisted, but these modern ones, they, they don't do that quite uh, No, the 991s are, and I was just watching a review of the new turbocharged, the twin turbocharged, uh, non-turbos. Because all the new 911s are twin yeah, turbos. It's hard, it's hard to differentiate now because, like you did said, you they're just all say the word non-turbocharged turbocharged? He did, he did. But I'm it's T with, a cap, T with a capital T versus a small T. The regular ones, we call it turbo with small T. The big T is the, the turbo. The model. turbo. See, I'm and, learning something over day. I mean, we know my Porsche knowledge is lacking big time. It always well, helps. Yeah, and, they, and it's funny how the, uh, the electronics and modern amenities have changed the way cars that shouldn't handle as well as they do. Do uh, it, by all accounts, the 911 should handle terribly. The motors over the back wheels. I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense, but yet it handles like a dream. Uh, and yet, was, this review I was just watching yesterday because I was thinking about Porsches, of course, and thinking about talking to you. And I was like, I'm gonna. Just, I, of course, I went down that YouTube rabbit hole, <laughs> oh, and I found deep. this perfect. Yeah, I found this perfect comparison between the new Grand Sport and the new 911, and it was like, oh, nice. Yeah, and it was funny. It, I, I have my problems with reviews, but it was funny them saying, like, the Grand Sport shouldn't handle this well. Neither should the 911. We don't know why it, but here it goes. And it was like they were putting down these amazing times. They're like, this thing should snap and kill us all, but they grip and but they that's go. that's what you said. It, it's not a spec sheet. Yeah. On, on the spec sheet, spec you look sheet. at it, you go, the engine's in the wrong place. It's unbalanced. It's... But it does. Yeah, and it, the the new 911 has 100 less foot-pounds of torque than the Grand Sport. It's faster in the quarter mile. Of course. And both being rear-wheel drive, not the all-wheel drive. Mm-hmm. Was it a dual-clutch car? That it, they, it was a PDK. Yeah, I, I figure that's the differentiator there. Yeah. As, as you and I both know as GTR oh, yeah. enthusiasts, that it's such yeah. a secret weapon. Uh, let's, what's, before we move on to the next thing, what's your dream car? Ha! Well, uh, I know Dan won't be too shocked by this because he knows the answer, <laughs> but the McLaren F1 to me represents everything great in the automotive world in one place. Yes, I'll never own one. In fact, I don't know. I, that I is appreciated I, fast. I, no, no, no. Hang on. No, no. So, one million bucks in '93 when I was looking at it as you know a broke college kid, and now they're 14 million and climbing. So I'm literally further away from McLaren F1 ownership than ever before. Right. Exactly. Um, I've seen one. I've been around one when I when it was new. It was the last new one for sale in the world in London. I just happened to find it at that time in '96. And I mean, it, I was a fan of it then. So I mean, it it didn't. It's always been the number one with a bullet for me. Yep. Um, people th- like to think I'm into turbocharged cars, and I am. But if you can do it all motor, oh yeah, yeah, that's how you do it, right? Exactly. So as an outsider looking at both of you, and I and don't get me wrong, I, I believe that the the, the F1 has a, a special place in automotive history, and and I, I think we could have a deep conversation about that. What makes the F1 so special to you? What what 
it, it, it because it's actually I've, you know I've thought about this about six million times. So it, it basically <laughs> represents the what if. So it's the what if of you didn't have most of those constraints you generally have when you engineer a car. Gordon Murray was given you know not blank check because there is no such thing as blank check even for the F1. There's no such thing. But he had so much ability to say, I want it this way, this is why, this is what makes sense. So we're probably never going to see a central seated, you know, V12 naturally aspirated manual transmission car with that kind of caliber. No. And the records it set and the things it did, they stood, you know, basically until Bugatti came Until the Varen came along. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, for me, I mean, I apologize to anyone listening who's a huge Veyron fan. We apologize for nothing. That's... Not my kind of car. Me either. Not yeah, either. and I mean, at all. I respect I no what desire. they did, but then you start telling me it has 14 radiators and it has this and it has that and it weighs 4,300 pounds. It just loses me entirely. Like, I'm just, I don't have any interest. You know, the McLaren is 2,000 pounds less than that. You know, central seated, all the stuff we love. Exactly. It's a different type of car. And then, you know, you take the spec sheet and you go, but one does 253 and one does 241 with the rev limiter slightly raised. None of us are going to do that. Yeah, find me a car. rug anywhere that's going to yeah, do that yeah. besides you, Bugatti's you, test track. Correct, correct. Yeah. You, we're not going to do that. In Dubai. Yeah. But what yeah. we are going to do is we're going to try to experience the car, listen to the car, you know, and, and experience the feedback of the car. Well, we all know the Bugatti is going to be a luxury experience. You know, beautiful leather, beautiful this, probably smells great. You know, does has a nice clock in it. You know, all this stuff. Whereas the <laughs> that's McLaren, what I look for in a car is a nice whereas clock. Whereas the McLaren, yeah. it's, it's the rawest experience you're probably ever going to find. But it also supposedly rides pretty well. It's easy to see out of. You know, it does all these cool things. Like if I could try to design a car, it's going to be a lot more like the McLaren and a lot less like the Bugatti. Yeah, mm-hmm. couldn't agree more. There's something to be said for luxury. I mean, I get it. And, and, and you know, the, the chances that I've had to be around that car, like never in it. You know, Dan and I have run into the uh, the white one down in Monterey a couple of times. Yeah. And it's, an, it's, not, it's even an LM. Is it an LM? It has the wing. Yeah, it's, yeah. I don't know if it's an LM. Maybe I, not, but yeah. um, incredible car. And, I mean, it, it's one of those cars that's just, you know, it's elegant and stylish. I mean, I understand what it does. I mean, believe me. And I've, I've always in, enjoyed that car. Um but uh, you guys have a true, better, little, true passion for it as far as <laughs> what it's capable of doing. Yeah, and I don't think it'll ever be dethroned in the minds of Dan or myself because when you fall in love with it at the time, it achieves this position that's kind of impossible to remove it from. You know, and, that, and you know, we, we look at cars like Pagani's and, you know, you kind of have an open mind. Carrera GTs come to mind real fast. Yeah. We love that type of car, but I don't think we'll ever likely, especially with gasoline, you know, powered cars kind of kind of slowing down now i don't think we'll ever see anything that focused do you think and this is a question that's kind of come to my mind do you think mclaren's business practices back then and their business practices now made it so epic i mean the fact that back then mclaren made that car and that was pretty much it and now they are rubber stamping them to the point where you buy one car and next time there's four more models that have come out I mean, the P1 is gorgeous, but I mean, you're looking at the new 720, and I think you make a very good point about the fact that we're not going to see a manual car like well, that Well, and I think, ever at, again. I think at the time, you had a race team making a street car. This is true. And now you have a company that is building street cars. They, are, they have a, oh. a beautiful racing heritage. Production but is the that, intent. You know, exactly. They want to crank up their volume. They're doing a great job at it. I, I'm not yeah. a huge fan of the model that they've chose, but it's more because they seem to alienate their owners quite quickly. Right. But the funniest thing is the owners forgive them almost just as fast because it's kind of like I just bought this amazing you know 650s and it is an amazing car we'll, we will never disagree 
But then they come out with the 675 LT, which of course trumps it handily. And then they come out with the 720S. There's not a sweeter word you could say to Dan's ears than 675 LT. Dan and I see the world similarly, (laughs) meaning then they come out with this slab-sided, weird headlight-looking 720S, which I've never seen in person, so I'll give it a chance. You know, when we see one here locally, Um, I'm not a fan, but look at the numbers. So it is almost a battle of the spec sheets with them. And... I don't, I don't know. It leaves me a little wanting. I don't think that's the right way to approach it. But if the numbers and the sales don't lie, what do I know, right, about automotive marketing? If they're selling them as fast as they can build them and demand is strong, I. I but guess then you also have right. customers in the McLaren base that you're right are angry about the fact that they buy one car and then something better comes out the next day. One thing that I have found really funny since we're on the McLaren thing is this P1 and then the P1 GTR and the fact that. <laughs> Very few of the GTRs have made it to the racetrack. All these owners are going, oh, thank you for a nicer, better, faster car. I'm going to convert it over. I mean, I forgot. I was watching some spec sheet or something on, online about the fact that out of, the, out of the, the how many have been produced, most of them are street cars now. And there's only like 100 or something, aren't yeah, there? Yeah, and people not are doing converting them left and right. Like, I mean, <laughs> we don't even have P1s that I know of in our in our city, right? So uh, there's a there's the a, turn a, 10. It, 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 a turn 10 Mach If there one. is one, yeah, I, I yeah. haven't seen it, so I apologize. I'd love to see Apparently it. Apparently there are there are one or two in the area, but okay. um, we haven't yeah. actually seen them. I haven't seen them locally driving around. Yeah. Uh, well, it's all a funny story before we take a quick break. Um, so I was driving my GTR on a road trip through Utah, and uh, I'm coming out of a little town... I have a, a picture in front of the sign where it says "caution curves next 100 miles." Oh, it's I one remember of my, that. It's one of my favorite I roads remember that. in the entire U.S., if not my favorite road. It's hard to tell, and I'm coming up there, and I'm driving for me on a road. Uh, I'll admit I'm going probably nine tenths of where I could be in that GTR anymore, and I was on the ragged edge because I had the road to myself. And most people, would go this is in the Plus middle it. of nowhere. I want to remind people of this. This is not. <laughs> The nearest town was literally probably 75 miles from me, and the only stop is an overlook, and the only sign is watch for cattle. I'm going up this hill, and I am just booking. I'm having the time of my life. And there's a straight stretch around the corner, and it's just a straight section of road, and so I hammer it down. Cruising along, listening to my music. I got passed like a bat out of hell. Like I was standing still by two P1s. This is when they had first come out, first year, 2P1. This is back in 2014 or 15? 15. And it turns out we know one of the owners of those cars. And this is a a wild cowboy hat-wearing man out of Arizona, I believe. Yes, yes. yes. And it was him and one of his buddies had gone for a drive, and they knew this road. And sure enough, they passed me like I was standing still. And I didn't know that was possible in a GTR (laughs) because it's not a slow car by anybody's standards. But compared to a P1 up a hill... I may have been driving well, two P1s up a hill. Yeah, <laughs> I may have been driving. I might as well have been driving an old air-cooled V-Dub up that hill because I, I laughed. I was like, "This is the coolest part of like yeah. moment of my entire life so far." <laughs> I think that's always a cool experience when you're in a fast car and something faster passes you. Well, there's two things going on there, and I love the story by the way, and I don't think I've heard the full version, so I appreciate it. <laughs> we would all enjoy that. Yeah, even being passed is fine. You know, you're a car guy, and other car guys are. Oh yeah, cleaning your clock. That's great. But there's two things going on. You've got these the driver mod, which can't be, you know, possibly minimized. Yeah. Let's assume these guys knew what they were doing. Oh, they and, do. They and, do. And, they do. <laughs> and you've got different rungs of performance. You know, no matter how crazy 
we think our cars are, yeah. there's a rung above that, generally speaking. Yeah. Now, when you get to the level of the P1, there's not much you know, yeah. above that, if <laughs> <Yeah>. you think. <laughs> um, but they, are, they live at the top. They live in rarefied air. Those cars are hooked up. They are crazy. They have 1,000 horsepower. I mean, you name it, they've got it. Downforce galore. So there you go. Well, well I mean, I think in our lifetime, and we are all old farts, um, let's say. Thank you. Thank you. Well, yeah, <laughs> just some of us are old at fart. Um, but um, we have seen the birth of the hypercar. Yeah. I yeah. mean, when, when when we were kids, it was supercars. We had the Countach on our sure. wall, or we oh, had yeah. the Testero, the black Testarossa. And now we've got these hypercars that no one ever thought was possible. Yeah. I mean, I well, remember when, when the Bugatti came out and they were talking about a 1,000 horsepower. And you're sitting here with a 1,400 horsepower <laughs> car in your garage, which I think is incredible. But uh, like Dan says, we've got to take a quick break, and we'll be back real soon. All right. We're back. Uh, so... Yeah, we're back from a break, which you can just assume we took because we have no commercials. You're welcome. Well, we had to pee. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's just... You know, we're very honest on this show. That's just the way it is. We're old. Steve, brought, he came bearing gifts, which uh, he, he knows us, so he knows what we like, and this is perfect. He got us two uh, Hot Wheels cars. He said we needed some cars for our show. So uh, I can now tell people I own a blue GT3 RS. And I own a, a white Super Turbo, which is uh, awesome. Uh, and they are Fast and the Furious uh, 7 cars. So 94 Super Twin Turbo. I didn't. They had cars in Fast and the Furious 5? And Explosion. I, I don't remember that. <laughs> Anybody else Went think that's a getting a little, movie to a little far away from cars? You know? how, far, how, okay. how much longer do you think before they're in space? Oh, uh, I'm not I'm, far. I'm pretty sure it's coming in like the next two or something. I mean, there's another three, I think, planned or something <laughs> oh, like that. But it's they, like they were in an airplane a lot in the last one, so they're moving their way up. So yeah, I could get there. Eventually, will, it'll just be like a plane battle. <laughs> I will say this: I remember watching the first one and and having a knowledge about cars and and be caring so much about the cars and the fact that I remember when they were set up that first street race and the brother was sitting there in a right-hand drive uh, GTR. Yeah, that was and important. nobody knew what it was. Like, yeah, it, unless you, it, yeah. It, Surprisingly, yeah, it really was an enigma. It was, it was all about the police scanner that he was listening to. But you, I mean, if you're a car guy, and you look at that and you go, "Wait a minute, yeah, that's you know, yeah, <laughs> that was snuck in there." But I actually was at the the opening night of that in my '93 RX-7 FE, okay. and I'm sure it broke down a week later, like it always did. But uh, at the time, <laughs> it was one of the coolest things ever because it wasn't just stock. I had a bunch of mods to it anyway. Um, oh, uh, the car world. Oh, the car world. Yeah. So let's get back on track a little bit. Um, so, in spite of all the love for the GT3 RS, and uh, I think a lot of people outside of this know you and don't know that they know you. Uh, and it's true. Uh, a lot of people know Steve indirectly because he is, to us, Supra Steve. There's, if you want an authority on Supras, we had questions on a Supra. I, I luckily have you, a lot of resources. I call you a I, different name in my phone. <laughs> oh, <That's okay>. boy. <laughs> we'll keep well, that I private. Think, <laughs> I think, as we have said this before, in the car community up here, not everybody knows anybody's first name. Oh, yeah. You, you, you sit there and you go, oh, you've got that GT3 RS. Oh, right. I know who that is. I could I could punch you out, but I don't necessarily know his name. Oh, yeah. There's, there's a bunch of that at uh, any well any of the shows around it's here. Right? Shows. I always feel bad because yeah. they come up and talk to me, and, they're, and they'll call me by name because, because I'm just out there a lot in the community. Yeah. You and I both are. I'm like, I know who that is, and I've known him for two or three years, but I don't, don't know, know his, his name. name. I know what car he has. I know what mods he has. I know when he changed his wheels. But the lovely thing is... 
He probably doesn't know your name either. It's no, same, but, you know, but he can tell you what you drive. You know, there's a good explanation for it. It's how we process the world as car guys. You know, yeah. we, we're, we're just using these tools in our brain. It's very easy for us. It's much easier than a name mm -hmm. to, to remember a car. And I think we all are guilty of that at times. And I, I laugh about it. I'm sure you guys laugh about it a lot because we'll have a whole conversation about somebody and no one will know no their name. name. Yeah. Yeah. But we're all comfortable, and if they show up, we're all going to have fun. So, so let's, let's dive in a little to your history with Supros, especially in the Pacific Northwest. Which it's pretty much all been, so right. it won't be a, a difficult topic. Um, I, I, I'll condense it a little. So we talked about college when I was a valet. We did a, we did a very large event. It was probably for a, a, a Microsoft employee, by the way, like a significant Microsoft employee. We were doing a private party downtown. And we were parking cars about a quarter mile away with a straightaway from where we were dropping them off. <laughs> that and doesn't sound dangerous. It does so. happen. Yeah. I mean, it, this is this is normal in the world of valet. And, you know, imagine a bunch of 20-year-old kids and you're giving them the keys to these amazing cars. You know what's going to happen. And that's why I don't valet my cars ever because I was a valet. So pay attention. Um, so. We had a, a, a brand new 1993 black tan Supra. It was an automatic twin turbo Targa roof car. I remember it very well. And I'd read about it, you know, the road and track. This is way before YouTube. So literally, you're just reading about it in magazines. If you're lucky, you saw, you know, and well, actually, you didn't. This is before option video, best motoring video that I know of. So literally, you saw about it in a magazine. That was it. And I had been enamored with the Supra for the same reason everybody's enamored with the Supra. You know, here's Japan, you know, sticking it to the supercar elite, saying, hey, we can play that game too. Our fourth generation car is it's better, faster, stronger, you know, than, than anything we've done before. And by God, look at it. It looks crazy. Look at the spoiler on this thing. You know? Look at cost? the exhaust on this thing. What did it cost in 93? They roughly. cost about 50000 when it first debuted. Okay. Um, they actually brought the price down in 97, yeah. uh, mm. but they decontented the car a little. It goes well beyond, I think, where we want to go with this uh, episode. Uh, but they thirty nine nine was the new adjusted price in ninety seven. Like we said, Steve is an authority on yeah, Supras. I, <laughs> I've forgotten a lot about them that you know most people probably wouldn't learn. But that's because I'm so passionate, right? I just read about them. I've lived that life since you know the late nineties. I um, didn't know that much about them to be honest, and 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 I hate to say it and, and put myself in this category, but Fast and the Furious is, is where I really got introduced. But to it's Super. significant, right? That's, that's yeah. where a lot we, of people did we can well, talk about not, it. But, it, was but it, it was such a big car, it was the hero car. Well, yeah, right? a lot exactly. of people didn't right. know It's a hero car. Yeah. And it was, you never didn't have JDM hero cars before mm -hmm. that in the U.S. I mean, unless you watched, uh, what's the Jackie Chan movie with the Evo? Um, I forget. Cannonball Run? No, Jackie, well. <laughs> yeah, I know yeah. what you're talking about. But I mean, for Japanese cars, though. No, Cannonball Run, he was in a Supra. Well, he drove Starion. That was a Starion. A Starion? Okay. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, as far as, like, yeah. Japanese cars, though, they weren't really in any kind of movie. Sure. Yeah. They it didn't have, you know, James Bond, they had the 2000 GT, you know, right. way back in the day. Oh, but, but yeah. that, you know, it's a unicorn car. It doesn't really, it's yeah. not something a normal person can go out and get. Yeah, so, so the Fast and the Furious, uh, uh, hate it all you want, it did bring that scene into the limelight. Absolutely. So, and I apologize, I'll get back to the story we'll, we'll tie it all together <laughs> we do this a lot yeah no nope, no problem <laughs> no problem so it was time to bring the supra back up and i you know i had not driven it to its parking place but i i was basically i asked if i could drive it as the valet you know some cars we would oh i want to drive it i want to drive it kind of like going to a Vance today right yeah um and i asked for it and they threw me the keys they said okay you haven't driven one before here you go so 
I literally, you know, my first drive in it, I remember it very well. I, you know, I, it was slightly raining, which of course was never good uh, for a first drive in anything like that. But I remember just, you know, getting on the gas a little bit. I waited until the car was straight. I didn't do something stupid. You know, I'd driven enough cars. And when that second turbo lit up, you know, again, I had a little quarter mile blast. Oh man, it was life changing in a sense, right? It was just this is what it's all about. This is Japanese performance. You, you figured know, out coming, how fast it was, life. and you got there a little faster than you wanted got to. Got there a little faster. Wish it had lasted to. longer. Um, yeah. I don't. You know, you guys probably don't know me at that level. I rarely would beat on anyone else's car, even when I was a punk kid. I was very respectful of cars. See, yeah. this is why I didn't beat on your GTR. <laughs> that's that's my style as well. So, you know, if someone's egging me on and we feel safe and the roads are clear, sure, fine, let's let's go party. But Yeah, I have I'm that not checklist gonna, on my dash too, yeah, right. I'm not gonna do that by default. So again, I was it was a safe drive, um, but it was an eye opening drive. And oh, yeah. that was what started it off. You know, I was again a broke young college kid. In later in college I watched a video, this is in ninety eight. I watched a best motoring video. I've actually shared it on Facebook a couple of times, so you might have seen it. It was the very first video where I saw what a tuned Supra could do, and <laughs> it was running against a Ferrari F40, which, of course, to most of many car guys, that's one of our top three, top five, top whatever, yeah. all-time best, best exotics. Best exotic, you know, best you turbo, it. best, yeah. I yeah, mean, when yeah. one of our friends no, at Exotics who happens to own one, he, he asked, what car should I bring? I always say your F40. F40. I always yeah, say your F40, your F40, your F40. Like, yeah. I never tire of seeing the car. It's a dream. That'll always be a dream. So it was a car. It was a modified Vail side, which is a Japanese tuner, Supra, six-speed, running against this stock F40. And, you know, the F40 squirts away from it, and then they get around this track. It's a banked track, banked oval with long straights in Japan. The Supra just walks right on by the F40 on the straightaway, not far enough to pass him and, like, complete the pass, but he just blasted right by. Mm -hmm. And I'm watching this video, and I'm nearly graduating from college, you know, with a real job and all this, and I'm thinking, I want some of that because I can't have an F40. But look at this. Yep. And that's what started the real serious Supra research for me, and I got involved in the community. So 98 was when that happened, and I bought my first one in 99. Yep. So my friend Jeff, JMI Motoring, he built the first Veilside Supra in the U.S. for Christian Kujin, who is the RWB representative for the U.S. Um, Nothing you, wonderful if car. You, really if you want a small yeah. world, like yeah. the Pacific Northwest has some... Uh, humble claims to fame like that. Like we we have some serious car enthusiasts up here. Yeah, and Christian, he's he's funny because he we all know him. He built that car period correct. You know, in the mid '90s. You know, he had the car basically when it was new. Yep, racing RT2s. Went wild on it. I mean, really wild body and and mods. You know, power mods, suspension mods. You name it. I know the car pretty well. Um, but he took it to a point where it became, let's call it, objectionable to the purists. Oh right? yeah. Which again, is, <laughs> oh, if you know RWB, you, 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 you know yeah. this is not That's a problem not, yeah. for our friend. Uh, but it's funny because now he's become very shy with that car. I've been trying to get him to show it off. I love that car. Like yeah. I want him to bring it out and share it with the community, and he thinks people will kind of ridicule it more than you know appreciate it. But what and you're I'm saying is they already him. have basically. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've never even heard T- of this car. Tastes so. change, you know, in the world of collector cars, and we could talk a lot about Supras and kind of the evolution of it going from being this kind of wild production terror, you know, that was competing with Ferraris and all that to being this modified exotic killer, to being a gaudy, you know, car with all the wings and, you know, showy things you can do. And now fast forward, you know, 20 years, 
25 years, we're talking about true collectible status for a Japanese car, which is yeah. really noteworthy. You know, a lot of people think of 240Zs and cars like that, and you're like, yeah, yeah, that is definitely a Japanese collectible. The Supra, the Mark IV, has really gotten to that point. Absolutely. Even in just the last couple of years, but those of us who've owned them for as long as, you know, I have, we talked about it when they were fairly new. Yeah. We recognized that they had done something very special, and it wasn't likely to be repeated. Now, we're all sad they haven't repeated it, so don't get me wrong. Toyota, of course, we know them more now for hybrid technology and pickup trucks and things like that and Camrys. But they they can do some amazing engineering. And oh, yeah. This was one of their absolute, you know, greatest hits. I think that the Toyota Supra, after getting and, and learning a lot from you and learning a lot from Dan, has really set the, the bar, like you said. It was a car that you that was obtainable and that, that you could beat the biggest and the best. Yeah. And that has that, that theme has gone so big. I mean, to drink bring it into your Corvette. I mean, everybody <laughs> thinks that your vet looks like an F twelve. And I mean it's and it's a third of the price. It's faster. This is my point. Like yeah. these type of cars that you don't have it's, I love the Ferraris, I love the Lambos, but the fact of the matter that you can buy a car like that that can beat the big boys, yeah. that maybe it doesn't have all the creature comforts that it has, but you don't need it. And I think the Supra really set that. Like you said that video, it went out there and it was beating an F40. I mean, Who the thought? king of the king at the time. Yeah. I mean, and it that's, really was the king. And that, that, that whole thing has gone through the ages now, and now we've got these cars that... I mean, you look. You talk about like the Genesis brands, and look what STI and Subaru, and, and I mean, yeah. some of the, the STI builds and the, the Mitsubishi Evo builds. Yeah, nobody was just talk about it, but those yeah. there are some STI and Evo builds that will wipe the doors off of just about anything. Absolutely, and they're, and they're like sixty grand totally. Buy one used for like thirty. Yep. And it'll still wipe the doors. But Blow my car I off the road. That. And that's one of the things yeah. I love about the Northwest is we have so many. And I'm going to call them creators, people yeah, that do. take these cars, everything from your Supra. To I mean to the Subarus to everything that, that, and they take these cars and they make them their own and they and they, they, they pull power that no one ever thought we we're gonna I mean look at some of the horsepower coming out of the, the boxer four cylinders with the Subarus I mean yeah. it's just incredible yeah I mean and it's not Northwest specific but we do no. have we do have that eclectic taste that we've talked about mm -hmm. here where we see that diversity a lot and we see it more inclusive here. Okay, we, but I'll put it in Pacific Northwest style. These guys are driving them on the streets, and then they're putting snow tires on them, and they're driving them up to the mountains. No, that's that's true. very true. <laughs> they're hardcore guys. So, that do yeah, that. Yeah. What you guys are describing, so people like me who've been in the tuner scene for a long time, it's kind of like inheriting a blank canvas. So it's kind of the opposite of what Dan was talking about earlier. The mature car enthusiast looks for a platform that's pretty much done, and yep. then you do like an exhaust and wheels and a tint, and you know you make it look nice, and it's kind of just your style. But a true tuner is yeah. going to take something, and it's just a blank canvas from the factory that is a probably a perfectly good car, maybe even a very fast car like an STI or Focus RS or even the new Civic Type R that we can make fun of. But okay, just so we're clear, that car looks like Optimus Prime it does. screwed a Honda. Yep. <laughs> I, I, I only bring it up for the Sorry. laugh factor, but it is a real, you know, it's oh, yeah, an enthusiast it, car. Nobody, nobody here is going to deny that it's not a fast car, Correct. especially for a front-wheel drive. I can respect that it does that. It's not my taste. That's correct, all there correct. is to it. Oh, it just to each their own. But yeah. 
that's it. And to take front, let's give him a little props. To take front wheel drive to a yeah. level where it doesn't torque steer off the line under full throttle with 305 horsepower, turbocharged power, that's really impressive. You're not going to sell me on this. So car. I'm not trying to, but <laughs> I think those who know can respect, you know, if you've driven anything like an SRT4 or oh, something yeah, that's trying way too hard course. to put down front, front wheels, <laughs> you can't do it. You know, you just literally, okay, it's time to go straight. Now it's time to turn, but don't do both. You know, it's, it's really difficult to do. Um, Two modes, straight and turn. So anyway, blank canvas, mm -hmm. you know, we want to take a car and, you know, in most cases you want to just accentuate what it can do. You free up the intake exhaust, the classic blueprint, raise the boost if it's a turbocharged car, which we all love about turbocharged cars. Um, but that's the nature of what car enthusiasts do in the tuner scene. You want to change the look, you want to change the power, you want to just make yeah. it yours. And it becomes a project that never ends, but that's part of the lifestyle of owning a car like that. So you, you can joke about it, you can lament it when it's got you down and you've paid, paid all this money and you're not getting quite what you envisioned, but it's part of that lifestyle. Yeah. And and then you sell it and you move on and you buy a Corvette or whatever, you know, some guys get Why frustrated you do that? and they want to buy something completely different where they don't have to do that. And I respect that too, you know, there's a time and place. Uh, but they'll likely come back. They'll likely, <laughs> you know, realize that they're missing something. Oh, I just moved it into off-road. I really did. That's true. Uh, I'm, I like I, I've joked, but I'm proud. It's probably true. I'll probably have more into my Land Cruiser because I don't really ever plan to get rid of it. Right. Ever. Like in the end of it, what am I going to do with it? Probably LS swap it. Wow. Beca and because it's a better platform than the Toyota 4.7 V8. Didn't realize you could do that with that platform. So meaning I'm a huge fan of LS Swap the World. Literally, I love that motor. I have owned a Corvette, by the way, a Z06, but uh, an older generation C5. And I loved the engine. I didn't like anything else pretty much with the whole <laughs> exactly. car. But I mean, it was a jewel of a motor. I really did love yeah. it. And so for me, you know, you talk about RX-7s, the FD series, which Dan has owned. I love the idea of pulling that wankle out and, you know, throwing in an LS motor, at least in theory. Yeah. I do like the idea very That much. was the end of mine. It got an LS swap so it would keep running because that's how you fix an RX-7. I think you've said that before. Yeah. No Has anybody to told Rob that friends? yet? No, I still love them, but <laughs> yeah. I, as an owner, I would never want one. Has anybody sent that to Rob yet? Like, just give up and put an LS in it? <laughs> oh, I, I okay. have. Okay, he's, good. I'm pretty sure he's yes. virtually slapped me a few times. That's okay. Uh, anyway, to get back on topic, because I want to, we, we're obviously going well on time here. I love this conversation, though. Um, more about your history with Supra. So sure. you fell in love with it early, but I mean, your, your involvement in the scene and bringing <laughs> Supra knowledge is vast. It, it knows no bounds in the sense that I got involved early and I took to it as quickly as I could. I did all the research I could. I got involved in all the online communities I could. There was a mailing list back in the day, you know, for the Mark IV. And that's how I met a lot of friends that I still have to this day, you know, guys who are tried and true. I'm a little funny in the super world because I love other cars too. Um, there are super enthusiasts that only speak Supra. Oh, and, know. you know, and we know that how that looks in other car circles as well. Well, I mean, that's Ferrari it. circles, that's yes. circles I mean, yes. yeah, yeah. But I, but my, my love for cars isn't, cannot be confined, you know, to one mark or one model. And so, but I did spend most of my, let's call it formative years of learning about cars with Supras. And so, of course, I know them better than, than most. And got involved, you know, I've been an administrator on Super Forums, one of the largest online Supra forums for a long time, uh, since the early 2000s. And, you know, and Facebook took over, you know, several years ago, I'm, I'm prominent in, in that as well. Um, several groups, yeah. it's disjointed, as you know, the world of Facebook, it's not as easy. It's, anyone can start a, you know, competing group, of course. 
Um, so I'm still a fan of forums when it comes to certain aspects uh, of the oh, control. Oh, yeah, you want knowledge, you go to the Yeah, forums. and the, search, the searchability, we could <clears> talk <throat> about that. I never got the whole cut me and I bleed one brand thing. I just, it's never, yeah, yeah. it's never made sense to me because when you look at the car world, I mean, the world we're describing now, there's so much out there that's relatable in the fact that, okay, you like horsepower and therefore, you, and I'll use super, you're a super guy. Well, why wouldn't you, you know, if you're, why wouldn't you like something well, else? Well, and I thought about this, and I was hoping this would come up because this is something that uh, I've yes, that talked looks to. infected, Dan. It finally came up. <laughs> Thank you. <Okay>. Anyway, <laughs> so one of the interesting things about being a car owner and a sports car owner, specifically in the Northwest, is the varying conditions. If mm -hmm. you are in Southern California or even the Southwest U.S., you've got a lot, one thing in common that you can you can have one car that'll do it all because you have nothing but dry roads, mm -hmm. and it's you don't you can have a car you just don't drive in the rain. It doesn't matter you can have this one car because you don't really experience it much outside of that single condition. And they do very well in that single condition, especially uh, especially sports cars. You get up here, and a car like the GTR is fantastic. It, that's where it really becomes king uh, for drivers is because we have mixed conditions. Same with cars like STIs and Evos. Anything all-wheel drive with a sports car, especially with a rear-wheel drive bias, really shines up here because you can, you can mix those conditions up and you get to experience the car in a different way. And if you decide, like, oh, I'm only going to drive this on sunny days, and I've done that. Like, I mean, I've had uh, um, even my my old C6 Z06, I, I had commuter cars and trucks and other stuff. So I almost never drove it in the rain. And it was terrifying in the rain. Because <laughs> yeah, you didn't have it set up for it. No, it wasn't set up for it. Nothing. Not and so I love the fact I that people up here, though, push the boundaries. Oh, yeah. We have a very good friend of ours that owns a dealership here, Mr. Roy Katz. And... He lit the internet up when he took his SV <laughs> and put snow tires up and drove it up to, was it Snoqualmie Pass? Yeah. And I remember posting that up on the Concorso Facebook page, and people went nuts. Yeah, it's like, what is wrong yeah, with you? Yeah. Like, Murcielago SV, six-speed manual, by the way, yes. folks. I mean, and I think it's the highest, it's the highest uh, mileage SV in the world. But he, he, put snow he put snow tires on it every year. But yeah. And he takes it everywhere. But that's, that's the personality of the Northwest. It's like, okay, there's snow on the road. But I got an all-wheel drive Lamborghini. Yeah, sure. It's probably not the best move. And I wouldn't do it because I don't have the, the skill, but that's what people do here. So snow tires on the Supra. What do you say? Well, I got a, <laughs> I got a good story for you guys. So back okay. in the early 2000s, you know, we were planning meets. And as an as a enthusiast, you do want to enjoy your cars year-round. But if you only have, let's say, a Supra as your fun car, it's a little difficult. So you do try to look for those sunny days, etc. So we scheduled a meet well in advance in Centralia. Why Centralia? Because it's about halfway between Seattle and Portland. So the Portland guys could drive north, we could drive south, have a little meet between two cities yeah. and regions and have some fun with, you know, celebrating the cars we love. So we all get down there, we have a great time, and then on my way back, it starts snowing. So here I am in my Supra, six-speed, you know, Supra on basically summer tires, you know, sweating bullets. You know, it's not a good time. We've this all, is the new We've Supra? all been there. No. Oh, okay. This is early 2000s. Oh, okay. And I remember I was coming, I lived in Kirkland at the time, and I was coming off of the final off-ramp, and I spun the car. I mean, in the snow. So close. Didn't hit the wall, the barrier, but pretty close. And, I mean, those are the kind of moments, you know, driving in the pack Northwest as a car guy. You know, you remember these things. They're, they're fun when they don't end in tears. And, you know, you talk about them later. But this is a real, you know, thing for us here. Dan is grinning like a Cheshire cat because he has a wonderful story. I'm waiting. All right, we're going to be quick. Uh, we're running, I know we've kept this podcast long, but we have such a great, great conversation here. We're just going to keep it going. So three times, three different cars. I bought a S2000 in 2005. 
that I picked up in just outside of St. Louis, Missouri, and I drove it home in January. Nice. I got pulled over in South Dakota because I didn't realize that in Missouri, they keep their plates. I was like, well, oh. I got to get it home, so I drove it without plates. <laughs> and he pulls me over and he goes, what are you doing out here? And don't get me wrong, I had I had uh, winter tires on at the time, but he's like, it's negative 10. What are you doing? And I was like, I'm driving my car home. I just bought it. And he's like, well, your paperwork's in order. So what? he's like, you're supposed to get a plate, but whatever. And then he goes, but I think you're nuts anyway. So I stop in Montana. <laughs> he was right. Yes. And the, oh, yeah, it's snow all over. It's snowing in Montana. I pull over to a gas station before I go over the passes. And it's snowing plenty below him. This guy in this gas station, literally with a cowboy hat, I'm pulling up. I'm pumping gas. He walks out. And he goes, you're effing crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Which is true. True. But you fast, lived. Great story. Yeah. Fast yeah. forward 2009, pick up my C6 Z06 in Burbank, California, drive it home, November. If you remember the November of 2009 storm that iced everything over from Portland, I literally followed the coast up as high as I could go. A story was snowed in. I couldn't let, they wouldn't even let us up the pass to get there. So I found that I was literally, literally looking at webcams on my phone where I had Wi-Fi so I could look at the highway conditions. I ended up following a sanding truck. From Which is what you want when you buy a brand new car, <laughs> a new, car new to you. Follow that yeah. Up. Yeah. The only trouble I had all the way home, and I literally was going, it took me longer than it took you to get back from California. Say, it took me like 20 <laughs> hours to get from uh, uh, from Oregon to my house in Arlington at the time. And I couldn't get it in the driveway. <laughs> so there was too much snow <laughs> in the driveway, the the driveway. And I was snow plowing the road with the front end. But I made it, no incident. And then uh, I had a 2011 C63 AMG. That I picked up in November from it's Burbank. A good month for you. It was a good month. It, I, I, that's a good time to buy cars. It is a great time to buy cars deals. in California. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's when the deals really go well. Yeah. Started snowing over Shasta. They closed the pass behind me as I made it down. Literally, they came by, cut, and then the trucks went the other way and closed the pass behind me. Made it, no problems. This is on Pilot Super Sports, by the way. Oh boy. Yeah, those are terrible snow tires. I have a great video of that in the C7. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, made it home. And so yeah, I. <laughs> It's if, an adventure. If you want to hear a significant super story that touches on all those things, I can try to give you a real quick one. So in 2005, I bought a car sight unseen on the internet because it was a 1995 super hardtop twin turbo, which they only made 18 of or 21 of, depending on whose math you, you want to follow. Worldwide? Uh, U.S. Oh, wow. U.S. Okay. Uh, unicorn. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I, I found one. I bought it sight unseen without asking my wife. Hint to married guys, don't ever do that. Um, I still yeah, get to hear give, about We that should give a real shout time. out to your wife because your wife is awesome. And, and she allows you to have this addiction. So She's yeah. very, very tolerant of someone who She's is a good woman. hard to like tolerate. Her. She's just tolerant. How about Let's that? just say that. <laughs> so anyway, I bought this car off eBay, sight unseen. I jumped on it. I flew over there. It was winter time. I don't recall the month, but similar to a Dan story. I see the car. It's not what I hoped for, to put it mildly. It has a Camaro hood on it. They'd cut the hood up. A full oh. cage, front and rear. No HVAC at all. Race seats, no seat belts. You know, decontented. It was a race car. So this guy had cut, safe up, for winter. cut up a really nice car. And it was a low mileage car, too. So a funny contradiction. Had like 40,000 original miles when I Jeez. bought it. Um, again, it was 10 years old at the time, but lived life, hard life as a race car. So 
first stop, I'm literally going to a super buddy's house that I'd never met that I'd found on the internet, who's a friend, you know, as we call a Facebook friend today. And we're removing the cage and I'm de-stickering the car. We're literally taking like vinyl off the car, pulling cages out of the car, threw it in a dumpster. You know, so the car is lighter, so that's good. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to rig up a seatbelt system. Um, there's no cruise control. There's no. There's really nothing much. I had to wear mittens. You can see your breath the whole time you're driving. There's no sun visors. You know, we can go on. So I drive the car. This is in Connecticut, mind you, and I'm driving it to Washington. So wow. this is not a small drive. And, you know, and Dan will understand what I'm about to say. When you set off from a coast-to-coast drive... After day one of driving, you kind of look at a map and you reevaluate your life yep. because you're going, huh, I didn't get anywhere. Oh, my God, the U.S. is big. You know, and it's just a funny feeling, yep. especially when you're used to flying places and, you know, in six hours or less. So I get to Swordfish, South Dakota. I think it's called Swordfish. And then I realize I'm getting gas. It's starting to snow, of course. And I'm looking at my tires, and I have cords just coming right through the rear. That happened with my C606. So the alignment was so aggressive on this car, again, for road racing, which right. it was set up for. I had burned through the rear tires in under 2,000 miles. They were done. Had to get new tires. Of course they don't have the size I need, right? No way in a small town. <laughs> Swordfish, South Dakota. So now I've got this wrong size new tires, and, and I'm off again. I'm going through the passes on the way I switched. To I, I was on I-90. I'm coming through, like, Montana and stuff like that. Can see my breath. I'm shivering in the car. I have no defrost. I have no HVAC. I finally get the car here. Um, somehow ma- made it handed it to my mechanic at the time and he looked at me square in the eyes and he goes there's no way you drove this car cross country because that's impossible and i said well i did and he was looking at me like there's no way a human could have taken this car coast to coast so i don't feel that it was a great accomplishment i think it was suicidally stupid oh yeah that's what car enthusiasts do yep that's what we do. That's and why hindsight's twenty. It was the right thing to do at the time, and, you know, it's a great experience that now I'll always have. So, yep. good time. Awesome. I love those memories. Exactly. Um, before we move on, we're closing up. Um, let's talk a little bit about Shift Sector real quick, because that's Absolutely. another thing you've done, and I want it to, I don't know if they can't, they're coming back this year. They had some issues, I guess. I did ask. Um, repaving of the airport was the reason it was off the agenda in Port, uh, McMinnville, Oregon. McMinnville, yeah. McMinnville. For this year, they could not get a contract with the airport. Because Let's of the go re-picking. back. A lot of people don't know what shift sector oh, is. Sure. I didn't even know what it was before you had introduced me to the topic. So uh, we can. Oh, I'll try to condense this. So you know, quarter mile racing has obviously been popular in the U.S. since God knows when. Yeah. Um, with the modern turbocharged and and high 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 horsepower cars, there became a need for something a little beyond that. So these mile and half mile races started to become more popular. It kind of gives the enthusiast a chance to ease it off the line, not risk breaking you know, their car for the pursuit of this elusive time slip. And it's a trap speed based competition where you're going for miles per hour, not elapsed time. So again, you ease it off the line. They have good timing equipment, pretty safe conditions. You know, you're on a runway. You can even run by yourself so there's no one next to you if you elect to. And I went to Shift Sector. For years, they were doing these in Florida, California, you know, uh, Texas. You know, they even did mile events until those started getting too fast for safety's sake. People are starting to push 300, you know, in mile-long races, darn close anyway. Um, So now half-mile is kind of the new standard. 
Um, super guys are drawn to them for obvious reasons. It's a right. car that's extremely hard to hook up the power early on, and then once you get going, there you go. I had gone as a spectator the first year I took the GTR down with a good friend, and I couldn't believe how much fun it was, just from a spectating point of view. So I vowed the next year that I would go back, uh, which was 2016, and I wanted to take my Porsche. So I went with a good friend named Randy. Hi, Randy. Uh, with his, I'm sure you're a listener. Um, with his, <laughs> you'll <GT3>. better be. <laughs> you will be soon. Yeah. Um, and we we did the, you know, you guys are probably familiar at least lightly with the whole Porsche phenomenon in the 50s of how people would drive to a track, race their car, and drive home. Yeah. So this is a very cool idea for most car enthusiasts. We don't have trailers. We don't want to have cars that we have to do that with necessarily. Randy and I get up at 3 a.m. We meet, you know, in Snoqualmie, um, Washington, and then we literally nose to tail caravan down there. Got, got some 100 octane in Auburn, you know, just for a little more uh, peace of mind with the car when I was going <laughs> to run it on the track. And literally we showed up, put stickers and decals and timing equipment on the car, made a few passes across the day and drove home. So uh, arrive and drive, you know, do it in style with a Porsche. And it's a car that you can actually do that with. So well, that shows the versatility of it right the there. Yeah. Of it. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. We had a lot of fun with a lot of friends. There's a lot of serious competitors. You guys are probably familiar with the twin turbo Lamborghinis and things like that. Oh, yeah. And they just light the world on fire. Seeing those cars in person, it, it, you know, the Internet can't do justice for what these things look like. It's truly impressive. Uh, but it's also truly impressive the size of a check you need to write, how often you need to refresh the motors, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. The dark side of it is, is very dark. Um, we just show up with our naturally aspirated Porsches, have a blast. I think I set the fastest speed for a GT3 RS of my generation at the time uh, in the half mile. I tried to research it. I think I got the mile per hour record, which makes sense because of the track conditions. We'll give you the record. Yeah, you, thank you. you. I, I deserve the record for you know. doing all this work. Um, but, it, <laughs> yeah. but it was a great pass. And of course, it was my first pass. Drag racers will always laugh at that. You, you do your best when you're not overthinking it. Uh, and that's exactly what happened. So what'd you get? It was a 144.323 mile per hour. I'll never forget that number. <laughs> and I felt great about it. It was a wonderful uh, rush to drive the car like that. You know, we, we all drive our cars fast from time to time if you're an enthusiast, but that was a time where it was okay, it was safe and approved to do so. Yes. And it was wonderful. It was, I, I highly recommend those events. You don't need to push your car 10 tenths. You can just have fun and do a little blast, you know, in your car, nice. whatever the power level is. And you beat Randy, right? I did beat poor Randy. That's all that matters. He, all that matters. He, he, go faster than he that. didn't. He let off too soon. Well, on he's the not here to, pass, to rebuke so. that. So I'm going to give you that one too. But yeah, I, I, <laughs> I was too. able to, to harness a lot of the performance of the car, and it felt great. So awesome. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and the last question we're going to close our show with is favorite road in the Northwest. What's your What's your drive? I you know, and I listened to your last episode and mine are not as exotic as yours in terms of where I live versus where the roads are. But, you know, there are some fun roads there that I, I like to drive. When I go back from exotics home, I like to drive on the 202. And yeah. the 202, um, for those of you don't, who don't know, it kind of weaves through the countryside and then eventually it goes up the, the waterfall, Snoqualmie Falls. Mm -hmm. And I play this masterful game of metering traffic when I'm going to the falls to give myself a beautiful gap. So I can kind of do this uphill run, yep. uh, which, which the in the yeah. GT3 is sublime. You know, that's my favorite car to do it with. Um, 
and I do it with all my cars. I do it out of habit now. I could be in my forerunner. I'd probably do that if I'm, you know, just giving myself a You're gap. You're gapping it, yeah. And here yep. I go. Um, you know, sometimes you end up annoying a few people behind you, but of course you ditch them as soon as the road starts to twist. So I enjoyed the 202 quite a bit. Uh, there are some roads like going to Leavenworth that I enjoy. I think it's the 97, the yep, way that I Yep, 90 to 97, yeah, too. Yep. I enjoy that. And in eastern Washington, where I grew up, you know, there are some really nice river roads. I don't recall the oh, yeah. numbers. But, you know, when you go from Pullman down to Almoda and where Boyer Park is, there's some very nice, very dangerous roads, meaning the overhangs are, are terrifying. Oh, I know the roads. Pikes, Pikes Peak or something. Uh, you definitely don't want to go over the other side, but they're yep. a lot of fun. So uh, I have two of those routes listed on my website. If you go to dancedrives.com, awesome. you can go to the uh, – there's a, a drive specifically on there called the Date Night. And uh, I do this one because you don't have to be – you don't have to give up – Having a good time driving to go have a really nice date night. And that is the first one I listed on there was to go up to Snoqualmie Falls via 202 and 203 um, through, uh, what is that, Tolt Hill Road. Um, there's two side roads on there that I highly recommend. If you hit it at the right time, there's no traffic or less traffic than other roads. There's always traffic here now. But still, uh, check that one out. And then if you want to do the one he's talking about um, toward Pullman, that is the extended three-day weekend Um that I've suggested people drive down to Boise to McCall, which covers some of those roads. Uh, that is one of my favorite roads is the, in, uh, it's Hell's Canyon West. Everybody's familiar with Hell's Canyon East. Hell's Canyon West is the one people don't know about. I've listed it out. I've mapped it out. If you just drive there just to do that, I guarantee you will send me an email and thank me if you don't die. So there are warnings on there. I tell people you need high temp. I love him because he's so humble. Hey, yes. You will thank me. Well, it, most people. If you I survive. You know, the problem is he's right. That's the, that's the issue I have, the fact that. I had company on that drive uh, in my car and the one behind me, and they both were laughing like crazy because they had so much fun because there's nobody on it. And it's, uh, you do need high temp brake fluid. There you was need, a gas leak. They were laughing at me. <laughs> <laughs> you need high temp brake fluid. You need good brake pads. And you need good tires. So don't do it without it. You won't, just won't have as much fun. Um, and, you know, you, we were talking about driving on the Northwest, obviously, and I think something that we learned that other enthusiasts may not around the country in different climates, we have to be very respectful of the conditions. Oh, yeah. You know, more so than most. I mean, obviously, you could talk about someone in Alaska, they probably take it to another level, but we know, particularly if you're in a high-powered rear-wheel drive car, there are things you can do and there are things you cannot do, and you need to know the difference real quick. Um, and part of maturing as a car enthusiast in the Pacific Northwest is learning and respecting those limits. Yeah, as our conditions change, I mean, it'll be 80 down here and, and 40 in the past. Like, you're starting to look at your tire temperatures and you're thinking, oh, I can't go as fast as here. It's just not something you think about when everything's hot all the time. Like, you, uh, luckily, technology has come far enough to where I can literally put a, a gauge on my dash that tells me my tire temperatures. But it's like... Uh, I was driving through Yellowstone on some back roads or outside of Yellowstone, and it was I had this gorgeous uh, drive. I left it was like 65 degrees. All of a sudden, I'm going to this pass. It's still clear. I'm like, it looks really cold out. And I'm like, oh, it's 31. Yeah, it changes, <laughs> also, changes everything. I was like, oh, my tires are hard as a rock because they're That's not right. made to run in these conditions. You can drop temperature here very easily. Yeah. You can, and even like Dan was saying, even in one drive, you leave, it's a beautiful day. You know, the day deteriorates while you're out. Um, and suddenly it's a different situation for you. Yeah, driving home return. at night, you're Correct. like, oh, i got to drive like a granny because the tires are hard as rock. Um, anyway, we should close with that. We ran this one a little longer than we normally will. Uh, we're still right at about the hour mark. So I want to thank Steve for coming by and talking. I appreciate and, it. Yeah, it's always great to spend time with a fellow enthusiast and uh, I'll look for Steve around. You can't miss any of his cars. <laughs> thank <laughs> you, guys. when I invite you in for an interview and I say Panther optional, they're optional. <laughs> 
Anyway, it's a pleasure being here. Uh, despite that last comment, I'm still happy I came. So thank you for the time and for having me as your first guest. Thanks really for coming, Steve. It. We appreciate it. All right. We'll see you guys next time. And uh, don't just get there. Enjoy the drive. <laughs>